It's my favorite time of the year. I'm so glad that you made it today. Um, today we're beginning our new series, Hope for Everyone, uh, as we, uh, we look into the Christmas story. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard the Christmas story a, a thousand different ways. Uh, the beauty of the story is, is that you can hear it a thousand different ways and God still speaks to us in different ways each time we hear it. Uh, and so, uh, so I hope you're encouraged by uh, this series, I hope you will invite somebody because, you know, again, we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, it, you know, we build this up and like, like, you know, Target and Walmart build this up as like, you know, truly the most wonderful time of the year. Come and spend money with us. Um, it's not always the most wonderful time of the year for people. And, and some people are trying to find hope and they're trying to find purpose. Uh, and, and the fact is, church, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the exact hope and the purpose they need. Um, you need to invite them to church so they can come hear about it. And so, uh, so there are plenty of seats available. Invite somebody and come, and let's uh, let's let's fill up the fill up the house uh, this month uh, as we we try to encourage people uh, with the hope that is Jesus. Um, also, if you if if you are into or anybody feel like being an encourager today, uh, go ahead and raise your hand. If you if you want to be an encourager today, raise your hand. All right, good. Someone needs to find Matt Sparling. He's in the back. Uh, he is an Ohio State fan. Um, uh, <laughs> they lost to that team up north, and so. Uh, so he's going to need love, um, you know, and, and Matt, it's okay, man. Dane Gray's wearing a, he's wearing a, a Florida State shirt. Uh, it's, uh, you, know, you know, just making me, making me feel terrible. So, uh, you know, here we are. He's the man trying to make me look pretty, trying to, trying to, to video today. So um, hope that you guys are ready for this season. This new series, we're going to try to find hope uh, in the gospel. And so um, I want, as we look today, so we're going to look at something that's uh, kind of near and dear to my heart as we look at a couple. We're going to look at the parents of John the Baptist today. Uh, as we look at what it looks like to deal with disappointment, if you've ever dealt with disappointment or had that uh, had that creep up in your life at some point, I'm sure that if you've lived any length of time on this earth, you have been disappointed at, at some point in your life. And the fact is that as we're a believer, I think there are people that expect us to just kind of let like a like a disappointment roll off us like a duck's back. Um, and while that sounds great, it's like, man, we've got hope in Jesus. We've got peace in Jesus. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart today. Um, and and that sounds really good. Sometimes life's hard, isn't it? And we need to figure out how are we, how do we as believers, how, how do we approach disappointment? Understanding that the sovereign God who spoke the world into existence is still speaking truth and leading us through the valley of disappointment even today. So uh, we're going to we're going to read uh, Luke chapter one if you have your Bible. Uh, we're going to read Luke chapter one. We're going to unpack it a little bit together and look at verses five through twenty-five uh, today uh, as we look at um, how Zechariah and Elizabeth and we're going to we're going to look at their story today. Okay, and that's kind of today's big idea that that Zechariah and Elizabeth's story reminds us that our circumstances do not dictate when we're to be obedient to the Lord. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your call every day is a call to die to yourself and to, to take up your cross and to follow Jesus, right? All right, so, uh, and, and John Owen once said that, that we are, as believers, we are to be killing sin or sin will be killing us, all right? Which is kind of a paraphrase of what he said. Uh, but um, but that, that's every day is, is the idea of dying to ourselves, killing our, our flesh so that we might take on the righteousness of Christ and to follow him in obedience, even when life isn't hunky-dory. And church, life just ain't hunky-dory sometimes. Our circumstances don't dictate when and how we're to be obedient to God. We are called, we are called to be obedient, and that's what we do. 
So let's start reading together. We're going to read, um, it's, it's a big chunk, it's 20, 21 verses. We're going to read verses 5 through 25, uh, but I love to read the scriptures. I just, it's, it's hard, to, hard to preach a sermon and not want to, get, not want to dive into God's word. So let's read together uh, John chapter, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, he, he, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So they both worked in, in the temple, okay? You had, you had a Levite priest. You had um, uh, a woman from the line of Aaron. Uh, they, they both worked in the temple, right? So said her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. If you're comfortable underlining, underline that, that verse, because that's going to be kind of a, a focal uh, verse in this, this text, said, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there, were, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been, your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man. I know, I know how he feels. And my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and, and unable to speak until that day, I'm sorry, until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. A couple things we need to look at today when we look at how God's working, okay? Because church, here's the thing. God is always working. God doesn't take a day off. God doesn't take vacation. He doesn't go on sabbatical. All right? He doesn't need to do all those things. He's God. He doesn't need rest like you and I rest. When he rested on uh, uh, the, the, last day after, uh, the last day of creation, it wasn't because he was tired. It wasn't because he was weary. It wasn't because he had eaten too much turkey the night before. He, he rested as a reminder to us that we need to rest and that it is, it is biblical and it is, it is good for us to take time of sabbatical to step back, look at all the things that God is doing and refresh our minds. So God doesn't take time off. God is constantly always working. And what we see first is that God is worried that he works in the silence. He works in the silence. Mind you, so, and you don't see this in the text. It's what you see 
before the text, or more importantly, what you don't see before the text. That's so important. You get to the end of Malachi, right? And, and, and you know, God is, is um, he, he, he's casting this, this, uh, this, this messianic prophecy over the people that God, he's going to send his prophet, the prophet of Elijah, who is going to come on that great day. Uh, and then that was 400 years before the, you know, Jesus showed up for 400 years. And, and think about it. I mean, I mean, our country is, we're in 2022. You're talking 1622. That, imagine how much water in our country is under the bridge since 1622. Imagine if they went that entire length of time and, and God said nothing. They didn't know. They kept doing the things. They were going to temple and they were getting nothing from God. God wasn't saying anything. It would be easy for them to go, man, is God even still there? And so many times in our life, or at least in my life, I can only speak for my life, and, and even in recent history where, where, I have, where I've had to walk through things, my family's had to walk through certain things, and, and there are times that I have to kind of just go, you're still there, God, right? And like, I'm a pastor. Like, I do this for a living. Like, I should be the guy that's communicating to you that, man, God is always there. He is always working, even if you can't hear him. And even I'm going back going, going is that even true? There are times when we're in the midst of the noise and the chaos of life that maybe because the still small voice of God is just that, a still small voice, that he's not going to come to you and yell at you and scream at you, that you're listening to all of the other chaos in the world, that you wonder if God is even still there. That's a very real feeling. So here are the Israelites, 400 years of silence. And so we see in verses five and six, we see that, uh, that there was this king, his name was Herod. Herod only, only uh, ruled for a few years. He was an awful person, okay? He, he oppressed his own people. He taxed them into oblivion, uh, into oblivion. He was a puppet king of Rome. Everybody knew it. Um, he, he was just a, he was a, he was a terrible guy, all right? And so, and so now in the midst of this 400 years of silence, they have this terrible king who is oppressing them, who is, who is, is just... You know, the, the eyes of Rome are always watching through the eyes of Herod. The people who were living in this particular point didn't know what it felt like to live in an intimate closeness with God because God wasn't speaking to them. At least not the way that he spoke in the Old Testament to, his, to their ancestors. And so here in the most inconvenient of circumstances, you have... You have this couple, right? It's a Levite priest named Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. And even in the, what we see in verse, uh, I think it's verse 6, that even in the, the silence, even in the oppression, even in the midst of the, the horrible living conditions that they had, it said they were both, verse 6, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Church, hear me. Our circumstances do not give us the ability to walk in any way we want and blame it on our circumstances. God says, focus on me. Focus on my righteousness. Focus on, on keeping my commandments. Focus on serving me. Then in the midst of all the other junk that's going on, all of that's ancillary. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they weren't perfect, but they, they did keep the law and they went about their business. And what I love about the Bible is that names in the Bible mean something. And this story is no different. Zechariah's name means God remembers. 
God remembers. So, so even in the silence, God was going to prove to Zechariah that he remembered him and his wife. Look at verse 7. It said, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. But let me tell you, two things that a woman doesn't want to be called in this world are barren and old. Okay, I don't know much about women. And, and I, I, you know, I, the more I learned, the more I realized I didn't know. Those are not two descriptors that people want. In their culture, in this first century culture, infertility was a sign of disgrace. Maybe even that God had forgotten them. But then you remember Zechariah, his name. God remembers. And historical con context means something. Look at verses 8 and 9. It said he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. All right. So understand, there were 18,000 Levite priests. Okay, Zechariah, here he is just going about his business, uh, doing the things. And at this point, this particular point in his life, Zechariah was chosen by Lot. Now, you understand what, what lots are, right? Right? It's like drawing the short straw. All right, you would cast lots, and the guy that got the short draw, that was his lot. He was the one that was chosen. Zechariah was chosen at this particular point to enter and to offer sacrifice. Out of those 18,000 Levite priests, only 14 priests could offer sacrifice, could offer a sacrifice in a given year. And a priest was on, could only offer the, or be the guy to go in and offer the sacrifice once in his lifetime. And Zechariah had just gotten the, the straw. Like he had just gotten chosen at his age, in his condition with his stigma that he and his wife just can't get it right. And the lot was cast, and by chance, by happenstance, Zechariah was chosen. Or was it chance? Or was it a divine appointment? Well, I think Solomon speaks some wisdom into this. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The Lord was working then, and he's similarly working now. He's working in the silence. He's working in the waiting. He's working in the uncertainty. He's working in the disappointment. He's working in the doctor's uh, diagnosis that they've given you. He's working in your broken marriage. He's working in your rebellious children. He's working in your dead-end job. God is working, even if you can't hear it. Even if you can't see it, God works, church, in the silence. What you may think is random is a divine appointment from God because everything that happens in this world happen, it, it is it filter, it's filtered, Charles Spurgeon says, through the hands of a sovereign God. God works in the silence, but he also works in the mysterious. Look at verses 11 through 17. So here's the Lord. He's silent for 400 years and until now, and we see Zechariah. We see how he's working in the life of Zechariah. Look at verse 11. He said, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Think back to Abraham and Sarah, right? You know, they were older. They were without child. Abraham had faith that even though all of the circumstances, all of the, the things seemed to be against them, against them having children, 
But Abraham had faith that God was going to come through in the uncertainty. And God counted that faith to Abraham as righteousness. Sarah, on the other hand, wanted to have a, a, a child in whatever way possible, even if it wasn't by God's design. And so she allowed Abraham to lie with the maidservant. And you see all of the religious squabbles and battles that have gone because of Sarah's lack of faith in God. John Chrysostom said, said this. He said, Zechariah looked at his age, his gray hair, his body that had lost its strength. He looked at his wife's sterility and he refused to accept on faith what the angel revealed would come to pass. Said you will have, angel in verse 14 says, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. The odds for Zechariah just seemed to be stacked too much against them. They had to deal with the stares, the whispers, the looks of pity from the people. What's Zechariah and Elizabeth? They, they, all they've ever wanted is to be parents. Zechariah had resigned himself to the rest of his life. We see what God's plans were in verse 16 says, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. If you go back to verse 12, Zechariah was troubled when he saw, when he saw the angel and fear fell upon him. You might feel like Zechariah. You might just feel like it's all a mystery. You may, you may just feel like, like, this is, like this is all too much for you. That maybe you, know, that, that you hear preachers like me stand on stages like this all the time. Maybe you watch them on YouTube. Maybe it's David Jeremiah. Or maybe it's someone else like th that you like to watch. And they tell you, you just got to have faith. Even if God's, God's working, even if you don't get it. And you're like, how? How am I ever going to know? I can't see it. Can't God just give me just a, like, I don't need the whole book, but maybe just a couple chapters. Church, I felt that way. Like, God, just, just show me you're there. You may think that you're in the middle of a mystery. Church, you, you just can't see. I don't feel like you understand that. Um, let, me, uh, let me explain to you this way. Um, so I'm a pilot, okay? So that's why I do in, in my, why I used to do in my spare time. Um, it's getting more expensive by the day to fly, and so I, I don't do it as much as I used to. Matter of fact, there should be a photo on the screen of Allie and me. It's, uh, we were flying from Alabama back home for Thanksgiving one year, uh, and uh, so that's us. We're in a little little Piper, uh, little Piper Cherokee. Uh, I love to fly airplanes. My, my grandfather was stationed at NAS Jacks, flew P2V Neptunes in Korea era uh, before he died. My dad uh, flew for Clay County Sheriff's Office extraditing prisoners, and so I just picked up the flying bug. Um, but I love to be in an airplane. I love to, I love to break ground. I love to, to get up above and see everything. Um, I, I love it. You know, one thing pilots don't like, and we've had a lot of it over, um, over our area the last few days, is fog. It, it, like, is there nothing worse than rush hour on a foggy morning? Like, it's the worst. Like, Allie has to go across the Buckman Bridge every, every, every day going to work. It's just the, it's the absolute worst. A pilot's worst nightmare is fog. And why? 
because you can't see. You're literally driving on faith 60 miles an hour down the highway. Some, some of y'all more. I mean, let's just be honest. Some of y'all are not good drivers. Um, like some of y'all are doing 80 or 90, 100 miles an hour down, down, down 295 or whatever it happens to be. Uh, and and you're, you are literally driving on faith because you can't see past the end of your, of your hood, the hood of your car. And you're just on faith. They have not slammed on brakes in front of you. It, like, is there anything that just, just tears you up more? Like, you're just glad you get to wherever you're going to go. It's how it is for a pilot. We want to see what's in front of us. Like we can fly by instruments and I can fly by instruments and I know where we're going. I know how high we are. I know how fast we're going. Uh, I know all of our, all of the, the engine cylinder temperatures. I know all of the things. I know whether we're climbing, whether we're descending, all of it. I, I can see it clearly in, in the instruments. But there is nothing in this world like climbing out through, through what is like pea soup. And the, just having to clench your seat, hoping you break through. And when you break through the clouds and it is crystal blue sky above it and you can see everything, then I don't quite fear as much. Church, most of our lives is spent walking around in the fog of this world because we can't get above it. It's just not time for us to get above it. It's not time for us to be able to see everything yet. But church, that's where faith comes in. That we trust that God is sovereign, that God is holy. And even if we're not above it, even if we can't see it, that he can and that he is working. Church, even though we're not above the mystery, God is. And God works in the midst of the mystery because he can see above it and he can work it out in ways better than you and I can. God works in the silence, but God also works in the mystery. But he also works in the doubting. Look at verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, he said, so the angels told him, you're going to have the son and he's going to have this electric personality. And you, you know that, right? When Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and she's carrying Jesus in her womb. John's leaping for joy because he is within the vicinity of the King of Kings and he knew it. Like John had this electric personality about him. He's that type A, like always happy individual that like I don't like to meet until like 1030 in the morning. You know, because like I need like three or four cups of coffee before I'm ready to, to meet some of y'all's level of energy. That was John. John was just excited. But here's Zechariah. He goes, okay, now wait a minute. So you know, he's in the, he's cast, or he, he's offering the sacrifice. The angel appears to John. He's in the temple and, and, and he, he appears to Zechariah and he's explaining all the things that are going to happen. And so Zechariah takes a step and goes, okay, now wait a minute. He goes, how, how do I know this is true? And like, we're like, as Christians, we sit on the back end, we sit in the pews, we got our Bibles in front of us and we go, we go, dude, an angel appeared to you and you don't believe it? Oh, you of little faith, right? You know every single one of us would be like, all right, oh, wait a minute. Someone comes to you and says, you're gonna have, you and your wife are going to have this, this baby, right? You're older, you're 60, 70, you're 80 years old, and your, your wife is going to get pregnant. Oh, wait, okay, wait, 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 wait. Let's talk about this. How, how do I know that this is not some like cranky, you know, like some cranky anchors like prank from, uh, from YouTube? Like, how do I know that's not happening? He says, I'm an old man and my wife is advanced at years. He said, Zechariah says, I don't think you understand what's happening here. Our prime has passed. The angel says, no, wait a minute. He says, I'm Gabriel. 
I stand in the presence of God. Okay, what a mic drop, right? He's like, like it's as close as a non-divine figure can say, can say, who are you to question me? He says, I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Zechariah finds out that the angel came on the authority of God himself. Someone, this is huge, church. I don't think you're getting, I think y'all are still like, like a trick to fan coma. All right, because like y'all are like super quiet today. I don't think you understand how big this is. For 400 years, God had said nothing. And now God sends his emissary to this old man and says, you're going to have a kid. You blame Zechariah. Zechariah goes, all right, man, I get that. Um, all right. That silence is about to be broken in a huge way. And Zechariah is not going to be able to say a word about it. How strange, right? And so Gabriel comes with this, this word. He comes with the word, the word good news. He said, I'm, you're gonna, I, I, I want to speak to you and to bring you this good news. It's the Greek word euangelion. And you've seen this word before. It's the gospel. But there's another place where this, this word is used. So I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a video. And I'm going to show you where, where you've seen it before. I think you're going to get it. Watch this. I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. I love how, how Linus walks out of the spotlight after he's done reading the Word of God. The spotlight was never about him. That's a little Easter egg that they throw into that. That when he says, I, behold, I bring you tidings, or I bring you, maybe your Bible says, say glad tidings or good tidings. Um, some of the more modern translations, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the world. It's the euangelion. It's the same good news. The good news that the angel brought to Zechariah is the same good news that the angel brought to Joseph, that the angel brought to Mary. It's the gospel. It is whether it's Zechariah or Elizabeth or Mary or Joseph, the shepherds or the magi. Church, it's the gospel. 
The gospel is the good news. It's the gospel that saves. It can work through our doubts. It can work through our fears. It can work through our misgivings. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22 says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks demand wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, if you go back to verse 13 in Luke chapter 1, it says, The angel says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Church, God remembered Zechariah. He remembered his prayer. Look at now, skip down to verse 22. It says, and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. Zechariah had communed with an angel of the Lord and he couldn't say a word about it. At this point, his doubts were gone. His fears, they were squashed. Church, time with the Lord will do that. When you're feeling disappointed, when God hasn't worked things out in the way that you would have worked them out, when, when things just didn't happen the way that you had hoped or the way that you had dreamed or the way that you had planned, being in the presence of God will change your perspective. And it'll squash our doubts because God's working in the middle of them. But he's also working in the trusting. Look at verses 24 and 5. Elizabeth conceived. As crazy as it might sound, And so now the stigma was going to be gone. The weight on her was going to be lifted. And yet Zechariah still wasn't speaking. Poor guy, right? Nah, not really. Look at verses, skip down in Luke 1 to verse 62. Said, and they made signs to the father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. So they're giving, I mean, obviously the father names the baby. And so, uh, so, so they were asking Zechariah, what do you want to name your kid? Well, now they're having to like do charades to try to figure out what, what Zechariah, now mind you, this is months down the road. Zechariah is still not talking. And that's one of the, the consequences for his unbelief was that he couldn't speak. But he gets to name his son and he, he writes it down on a tablet. He, write, he, he wrote, it's important to understand what, what this name means because what's going to happen is the moment that, John, or that, that, uh, that, that Zechariah writes down what his son's name was going to be, his tongue was loosened, it says. But even the tongue-tied guy gets to speak in his own way and he names his son John. That's just another name, right? No. The etymology of John's name is so important. Because the name John means God has been gracious. God remembered Zechariah. And Zechariah remembered how God had been gracious to him. And he names the herald, the one who would go forth and pave the way for the coming of Messiah. The one who had doubted, named his only son as a reminder of God's goodness. Church, God's faithful, and he's working. He's working in the silence. He's working in the mystery, and he's working 
in the doubting, and eventually he works in the trusting. Verse 24 and 5 said, After these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. We're entering into a season, it's Christmas season, but it's a season that is traditionally called Advent. In Latin, the word Advent is Adventus, and it means coming. The beauty of being where we are is that we know that Jesus, Messiah, has already come once. And so we celebrate in, on Christmas, and you saying it today. Oh, come let us adore him. He's Christ the Lord. And so we celebrate the, the God that has already put skin on and come to this world. But we look every day to the eastern sky, knowing that there's coming a day when the second advent is going to come. And we wait patiently but expectantly for that day. And as we remember, as we celebrate this season... And we remember that first coming. It was that first company, this first coming, that purchased our eternity. But church, as we look forward into the fog of what the future looks like, and you know, I think Matt said it perfectly earlier, it's been a weird year. I don't think that on, on New Year's Eve when you watch the ball drop, how many of y'all watched the ball drop on New Year's Eve this past year? Six of you, cool. All right. Um, <laughs> I think uh, when, when you watch the ball drop, I... I all six of you, um, I don't think you expected to be sitting here the Sunday after Thanksgiving not having a pastor. Not having a lead pastor, that is. I don't think some of you expected to be to having the seat next to you unoccupied that somebody you love was going to pass away. Maybe it was a spouse or a child or a friend, a loved one. Maybe you didn't expect to not be driving, getting up in the morning and driving over the Buckman Bridge, going to your job every day because you lost your job. And now you sit here and you look forward into the fog of what the future looks like. And you're wondering if God is still there. Matt's going to talk more about that next week. But in the disappointment of Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. God took their disappointment and he used it to bring glory to himself. Even in their doubting, even in their questioning, even in the midst of their frustration, God took all of those things and redeemed them in a way that only he can. I don't know if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and you're wondering how, how you're going to pick up the broken pieces of your life. You, you don't have to do it alone. God wants to walk that road with you. He wants to help you pick those things up. He wants to redeem the brokenness, the disappointment in your life. He wants to redeem it for his glory and for your good. God remembered Zechariah and he'll remember you too in your prayers. And you're crying to God. Would you lean in to, to the Father today and be encouraged by his ministry? Father, we love you. And as we close out 
this time together today. Father, may you remind us that even in the disappointing times in life, when things just didn't go the way that we wanted, that, Father, that you are still working. You're working in the silence. You're working in the mystery. You're working in the doubting. You're working in the trusting. God, you're working in all of those things. And so, Father, as we go out into a lost world, bearing the scars of our disappointment, Father, would you redeem those scars? And bring us the joy that comes from knowing and serving you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.